Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Praise him for his grace. If you have your Bibles, I trust that you do. If you can open with me to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34, welcome to week 10 of our Names of God series where we are walking through these names and how they meet us at points of need in our lives. And just think about where we've been so far. Elohim, our strong creator, El Elyon, the most high God, El Rai, the God who sees me, El Shaddai, God Almighty, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides Yahweh, the self-existent one, or the covenant-making, covenant-remembering, covenant-keeping God, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And then last week we saw Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner or the Lord who always leads in victory. And these revelations have been so uplifting and so encouraging and just um, just speaking to the to us in the depths of our need. Yet today's name, the name that we come to doesn't seem like it belongs on that list. For this morning we come to one of the most difficult names of God given in scripture which is the name El Kanah and it means jealous God. And yet time and time again in scripture God reveals himself as just that a jealous God. And it's God's revealing, it's God's doing. In 2014 a University of California researcher used a stuffed animal to show that animals are capable of jealousy. So Professor Christine Harris asked dog owners to show affection towards a stuffed animal and to get the reaction of their dogs. So she discovered and found out that three-fourths of the dogs responded with some form of apparent jealousy. So some dogs began to nudge their owner, some began to paw at them, some began to place themselves right between their owner and the stuffed animal, and then some actually literally ripped the stuffed animal away from their owner and dealt with it on their own terms. <laughs> but so in, in, a, in a dog, you know, jealousy can kind of seem heartwarming, like in a, in a child, jealousy can somewhat be cute. You know, my sister is 15 months older than me, Yet when I came along, she did not see me as like her baby doll. She saw me as her rival. And uh, so even though she had, for her 15 months, had never taken a pacifier, um, when I desired one, she would always rip it out of my mouth. And she would say, it is mine. So I never had a pacifier um, during my time as an infant. She robbed me of that. And I'm still dealing with the consequences of that. But So jealousy in kids can be somewhat cute and adults Jealousy, of course, can lead to disastrous results, but jealousy in God? Like, how does that make sense? How does that even fit? You know, if we were to ask to make a list of all of the qualities of God that minister to us the most, we would probably have a list that would include God's perfection or holiness, God's presence, his love, his mercy, his grace, his care, his concern, his faithfulness, maybe even his power, just to name a few, but probably in our list, our list probably would not include jealousy. It doesn't have a way of making us feel all warm and, and cozy, yet many times our thoughts become, well, how can a God who is perfect, loving, and patient be jealous, or is, is God insecure, or will God's jealousy cause God to act irrationally like it often causes us to act? 
And I know that this idea can be very confusing for us, and I want to show you how confusing it is. If you want to waste a few moments of your life, I would encourage you today to go home and Google Oprah Winfrey and Jealous God. It would be a waste of time. I'm going to go ahead and fill in the gaps for you. But you'll find an interview that she did where she talks about being 28 years old and being in a Baptist church when the minister began to talk about how big God was. So the minister basically said that God was omniscient, all-knowing. He was all-powerful. He was righteous. He was holy. And she said as she listened to these traits of God, her heart began to fill. She began to get caught up in the emotions of it. And then the pastor said, God is a jealous God. To which Oprah Winfrey said, and these are her own words, from the second I heard that, I was done. Because if God is jealous of me, he is not God. Yet, God actually and repeatedly reveals himself in his word as just that, that he is a jealous God. Are we able to diminish or even to dismiss an attribute of God because we don't like it or because we might not understand it or because we're not comfortable with it? And then what does the Bible mean when it says that God is a jealous God? I hope to answer that today, but let me say this. Whatever the Bible means when it says that God is jealous, it cannot refer to or imply anything sinful in God. God is not sinful. He cannot sin. He is a holy God. Therefore, he never acts sinful in his jealousy. He's never sinful or never jealous, excuse me, because he's needy or greedy or covetous or because he's lazy and refused to put the effort in to accomplish his purposes. This is not the God that we serve. But yet the God that we serve reveals himself as being jealous. Think about the words of J.I. Packer who says this. Nobody would imagine a jealous God, but we are not making up an idea of God by drawing on our imagination. We are seeking instead to listen to the words of Holy Scripture in which God himself tells the truth about himself. You know, we listen to so many people today who say things like, well, Christianity is just a made-up religion. Religion is you know, made up, the opioids of the masses, all of those things. And let me just tell you, Humanity in making up a God would have never made up a jealous God. That is never a kind of God. We would, we would not make up a God. If we had to choose a God of our own liking, he would not be jealous. He would not be just. He would not deal with sin. Yet this is the God that the Bible reveals in other characteristics as well that we have to take as a whole. But this is who he is. So let's dive in today and behold Elkanah, the jealous God, and what that means for us. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read Exodus 34 verses 10 through 16, and we're not going to really deal with the context here. We're going to kind of use this as a jumping off point and kind of do a topical picture this morning of this God as a jealous God. But let's begin in verse 10. And he said, behold, this is the Lord speaking, behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst." You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. 
For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we hear these words and Lord, the graphic nature of them in terms of what our hearts are prone to do apart from you. And yet your word says, God, you are a jealous God. In fact, your name is jealous. Father, help us. God, help us to see the beauty, the power, Lord, just what that means in our lives. and What that means for you as the one and only God. Have your way. Speak, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So wouldn't it be quite interesting and probably scary if people were not only called by their given names, but were also called by their most dominant personality trait? So just think about that. What would your name be? Or wives, what would your husband's name be? Or Husband, I'm not going to give a husband a chance to get in trouble in this moment because you probably would. Or parents, what, what personality trait would your kids be called? Normally, normally we do that. We call them by some different names of, of who they are. But just think about that. And yet in Scripture, the Lord God is often referred to as his character qualities and, and names. He is king of kings. He's deliverer, provider, helper. He is refuge. He is redeemer. The list goes on and on, yet... For all of those names, jealous seems to be a little bit out of place. And yet here God is in the midst of, so Exodus 34, I believe verses 6 and 7 are the most quoted verses in all the Old Testament. And yet here we have this picture in the midst of that God saying, my name's jealous and I am a jealous God. And none of us, if somebody came up to us today and said, you're such a jealous person, we wouldn't take it, take it as a compliment. We would go, who do you think you are? Or we would begin to say, man, how am, I, how am I putting on what perception am I giving to people? They think that. Who wants to be thought of as jealous? The word definitely doesn't sound positive. It feels, sometimes it feels petty to us. It feels like a couple of junior high girls who are fighting over the same boy. Or it feels like a high school boyfriend who becomes jealous just because his, his girlfriend looks at another guy or a co-worker who is so jealous of of other people. They try to make everybody else look bad so they can make themselves look better. That's how it feels to us, just petty. Besides, we think about you know, what reason would God have to be jealous? Doesn't everything already belong to him? And we would say, well, of course it does. And is there anything that would ever compete with God for his power and greatness? And we would say, well, no, at least not in, re not in reality ever. But just think about the confusion that happens here the bible is very clear god is a jealous god yet the bible also says that we aren't to be jealous that we are not to be jealous in fact listen to romans 13 13 let us behave properly as in the day not in carousing and drunkenness not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality not in strife and jealousy so over and over again the bible tells us don't be jealous yet over and over again the bible says god is a jealous God, is that a contradiction? Is there a different standard of right and wrong between us and God? And the answer is, well, maybe we just don't know God like we should. 
You know, we are often quick to try to place God on our playing field, and we try to attribute our type of jealousy to God, as if God's jealousy means that he's hostile and he's bitter and he's resentful and he's insecure. And when we think about our jealousy, so the human jealousy, our jealousy is often selfish, it's often suspicious, it's often distrustful, and it often comes from insecurities and immaturity within us. Yet that can't be said of God. Someone has said that God's jealousy is not a green-eyed monster as termed by Shakespeare, but instead God's jealousy is a red-faced lover who will accept no rivals in his love for his people. And just follow with me here. Sometimes our jealousy is we are jealous because we're afraid someone's going to find someone else better than us. Yet God's jealousy doesn't work that way because nothing is greater than God. God doesn't have that jealousy where God's thinking, I hope they don't find someone better than me because God knows there's nothing greater than him. So ultimately, God is God is jealous for his glory, and God is jealous, hear this, for our good. For our good. So I want to place before us today three truths when it comes to Elkanah that we're going to walk through together. And some of them I'm going to try not to get bogged down because they might get a little deep, but just follow with me and we'll make our way out. Number one, Elkanah is jealous in his purposes. He's jealous in his purposes. So when we think about that, well, what is the purpose of God? Well, ultimately, number one, the purpose of God is to glorify God. So God's number one purpose is to glorify himself. Think about this. In Isaiah 43, 7, and we've viewed these verses many times, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory. So we're created, why? For the glory of not us, but God. Then Isaiah 48, 11, on the screen, for my own sake I do it, for how should I or my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So God isn't sharing his glory. He understands who he is. So then, then what is God jealous for? You know, what, what in the world is God, why would God be jealous? And what we know is that God is jealous for his fame. God is jealous for his honor. God is jealous for his glory. God desires above everything else that he's exalted. And I'll explain why that's important in just a second. But God is a, he has an intense desire to protect his own glory. God is, God is absolutely jealous for the supremacy of his name in the world, in our land, in our lives, in our homes, and in this, his church. It's not your name that God is jealous to protect. It's his name. It's not your reputation that God is jealous to protect. It's his reputation. So therefore, God commands us. We're going to see this over and over again. God commands us not to bow down to other idols, or even as God says very bluntly here, not to whore after other things and so cause ourselves harm in doing it. So God is basically saying, listen, I desire that you not worship false gods, that you not fall into that trap, instead that you worship me. And it's not wrong for God to seek his own honor because God is altogether honorable. He's honorable in all of his ways. So God deserves honor. He deserves glory. And this isn't because of who God is aspiring to be. This is because of who God is and forever will be. Think about Ezekiel 39, verse 25. God says, thus says the Lord, I will be jealous for my holy name. I'm jealous for my name. So jealousy is not just a passing mood of God. It's the essence of his person. God cannot be other than jealous. 
Since God is the greatest, highest good in our lives, he's committed to preserving his honor among us. And we have to think about what does that mean? And I'm going to use an example here I've used many times before. But it's a good thing for us that the sun and not the earth is the center of the solar system. Now, the sun is 30,000 times bigger than the earth. So if the earth was at the center of the solar system, the earth would not have the gravitational ability to hold the rest of the solar system in orbit. And all of us would what? Die. So all of us would die. It's a good thing for us that the sun is at the center. Think about it this way. If the sun were a person, the most loving thing the sun could do was to keep itself at the center. That would be the most loving thing the sun can do, and so it is with God. The most loving thing God can do to us as people is to say, keep me at the center of it all. Keep me at the center. We were designed to live and to thrive when God is at the center of our lives. So God is saying, and this isn't selfish, this is for our good. God is saying, keep me where I deserve to be in the center of your life. Don't push me aside. Don't try to make everything orbit around you because it will fall apart. I think of the words of John Piper who said God would be unrighteous if he valued anything more than what is supremely valuable. If he did not take infinite delight in the worth of his own glory, God would be unrighteous. For it is right to take delight in a person in proportion to the excellence of that person's glory. So Elkanah is jealous in his purpose to defend his glory. But number two, Elkanah is jealous in his passion. So what is his passion? Well, here's where it starts getting really good for us because his passion is seen in his love for his people. Even protecting us against that which isn't true that was just false. In Deuteronomy 4, 23 and 24, you see on the screen, God says, Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, or this is Moses speaking, and made a carved image to the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. We think about this picture again of idolatry, and an idol, of course, is anything that's more important to us than God. An idol is anything that absorbs our heart or our attention or our Thoughts, anything that we seek to give us what only God can give us, which we begin to realize that idolatry then is not some ancient, irrelevant practice, but it's very real in our lives and in our hearts. As, as one theologian said, our hearts, the human heart is an idol-making factory. Our human hearts make idols left and right, things for us to worship. Here's a simple test. When you let your mind wonder, where does it go? When you let your mind wonder, where does it go? And you might say, well, it goes to all the things I have to do because those things are important. But how important are they? Is that where your identity becomes? Is that where your self-worth becomes? Is that where if all of those things line up, everything is good in your life? Oh, that our mind would wonder to him. To him holding us. Him at the center of our lives that we would keep him there for god seeks to save us from the harm of worshiping lesser gods and then says this for the lord your god is a consuming fire a jealous god and again jealousy is often a negative connotation yet a distinction has to be made and this is when i pray it begins to make sense 
God is certainly not jealous of anything. So understand that. God is not jealous of anything. He is God. He can't be. But God is jealous for something. Understand that. God is not jealous of anything. He is jealous for something. And let me tell you who he is jealous for. You. He is jealous for us. He is jealous for your love. He is jealous for your attention. He is jealous for your thoughts. He is jealous for your devotion. He is jealous for your time. He's jealous for your heart. The best way to describe the jealousy of God over his people is to begin by looking at the marriage relationship. Just as a husband cannot tolerate adultery in his wife and vice versa, so God will not endure or tolerate infidelity in us. Yeah, I think of this from a human perspective. So this past September, Misty and I celebrated 24 years of marriage, which is nothing compared to many people in our church. So I get that. But I also say there's something to be celebrated when I think about Misty putting up with me for 24 years. There's something amazing about that that maybe you don't get, but like, I get it. But in a marriage relationship, listen, I am my wife's and she is mine. I don't love Misty for what she gives to me. I love her because she's mine, because I'm hers. And there are parts of me that I get that no one else gets, and there's parts of her and vice versa. And it's not just physical. It's what the Jews call a mingling of souls. It's a beautiful thing. It's almost as if we look back and we go, the picture that God put together is so beautiful and so amazing, and the world has so distorted it that we don't see how beautiful it actually is. Yet in our, even in our marriage relationships, there are places and points by which we need to be jealous. Yet we have to be careful because there are righteous, there's righteous jealousy and there's an unrighteous jealousy. Meaning, if I see my wife talking to another man and I get jealous and upset because she's talking to another man, that is showing how insecure and immature I am. That's not me looking out for her. That's not me wanting what's best for her. That's not me even protecting the unity of the marriage. That's me protecting my own insecurity, and that's not of God. Yet, if I see a man cunning and crafty trying to alienate her affections, trying to seduce her away from me, something should rise up in me, which is a righteous anger and jealousy. In that moment, I'm not going to go, well, I hope she chooses me. I hope it works out for me. No, in that moment, I'm going to stand against all that is wrong because of my commitment, my covenant, not just our covenant between us and God. I'm going to stand against that perversion and that wickedness, and I'm not going to let it stand. And you might think, be thinking to yourself, well, that just sounds kind of harsh. I would hope and pray the same for me. If a woman tries to worm her way into my life, to steal away my affections, I would believe, in fact, I know how my wife would respond. And I'm her, she is mine. Listen, for anyone to try to take what's rightfully not theirs at the expense of what God has joined together is sinful, it's dark, and it deserves to be stood, stood against. Amen. Deserves to be stood against. And listen, I know we live in a world that would argue to the contrary, and I'm about to get really fired up for just a second as if I'm not already fired up. But we, we live in a world, and it's not a majority opinion, but it's going to get there. By which people would say, oh, come on, just let your wife sleep with whoever 
that she wants to sleep with, and you sleep with whoever you want to sleep with, and let's just live to please ourselves in whatever ways. And you might be thinking, well, that will never happen. I can assure you it's, it's getting more and more there and more and more prevalent because of this very reason. Humanity is beginning to view human beings with no souls and only living based on animalistic behaviors where you do whatever you want to do and whatever urges are there, just follow them. And anyone who would do that, let me say it very clearly again, you are wicked, you have a dark heart, and you have distorted the beautiful picture of marriage that God himself designed. Oh, that we would give ourselves back to what God has designed. Again, my wife is mine, and I don't share her. I'm hers. It's a covenant relationship. It's a mingling of souls, and it is beautiful. And the Bible is saying that's how God feels about us. So God feels about us. He is jealous over us with a righteous jealousy. And think about this. Let me just take this further. God was so jealous for your salvation that God brought the gospel into your life in so many different ways. God used so many different people to speak the gospel into you, and God allowed you to go through so many different experiences. And then finally, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon you and brought you to salvation. But wait... There's more because God doesn't just stop there. He is jealous for you now. He is jealous for your spiritual welfare. He is jealous in the midst of your trials and temptations. He's jealous lest you should be robbed by covetousness or worldliness or compromise or prayerlessness or disobedience. He is jealous that you should experience the fullness of his blessing. God wants you to experience the fullness of him. And let me just say this, brothers and sisters, let me be very, very clear. You cannot forsake the presence of God and then get mad at God when he stops blessing you. You cannot forsake the presence of God and get mad at God when all of a sudden everything starts going wrong. You cannot forsake God and then say, well, I don't know why all this stuff's happening. It's because you're sinful and make sinful decisions. That's why bad things happen. Brothers and sisters, when we pursue the presence of God, not everything's always going to go great in my life, but God will make it good. Amen. He will make it good, and I trust him. I trust his passion and his love for me. So he's jealous in his passion. And then number three, Elkanah is jealous in his protection of what he's protecting. Divine jealousy is a zeal to protect a love relationship, or to avenge it if it is close to being broken. Look at Exodus 20, 4 and 5 on the screen. This is early on in the Ten Commandments. And we're told, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. So there it is. There's a, that strong connection there between God's jealousness and, and us running after other gods. Or likeness of anything that's in heaven above, on earth beneath, that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. One theologian said this, that God is not jealous like an insecure employer who fears that his employees will be lured away by better salaries. He says this, God's jealousy is not the reflex of weakness or fear. Instead, God is jealous, hear this, like a powerful and merciful king who takes a peasant girl from a life of shame and forgives her, marries her, and gives her not the chores of a slave, but the privileges of a wife. 
His jealousy does not rise from fear or weakness, but from a holy jealousy, hear this, to keep her where she is and not see her return to where she was. Brothers and sisters, that is the picture here. It's a horrifying sin for us to claim to know God and be saved by God and yet to continue to run back to that which we've been saved from. It's a horrible sin to be saved from sin and yet keep running back to it as our identity, to keep running back to it as the one thing that makes us comfortable, the one thing that gives us hope or stability of any sort of of way, what we do in our lives. Listen, God is infinitely jealous for the honor of his name, and he will oppose anything that is against him with absolute omnipotent power. Charles Spurgeon explained it this way. Did God not choose you? He can't bear that you should choose another. Did he not buy you with his own blood? He cannot endure that you should think you are your own or that you belong to this world. He stripped himself to nakedness that he might clothe you with beauty. He bowed his face to shame and spitting that he might lift you up to honor and glory. And he cannot endure that you should love the world and the things of this world. Our true and lasting happiness can begin only when we admit that God should, that God should jealously protect his honor even in our lives. Listen, if God is in his essential being, if he is a jealous God, then we need to also ask ourselves, are we jealous for what God is jealous for? Three times in scripture, God commends jealousy. In Numbers 25, there was a priest by the name of Phineas who stood against God pouring his wrath against Israel, and he literally killed fornicators. A priest took it into his own hands. I'm going to kill this and stop it. And God commended him for his jealousy. In 1 Kings 18 and 19, Elijah stood against prophets of Baal and Asherah and basically said, there is one God, and he is a God who answers by fire. And so Elijah prayed to God, and fire fell from heaven. And in 1 Kings 19, Elijah, standing before God or having a conversation with God, was even able to say, oh, you know I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous for you. And then in 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth, I have a godly jealousy over you. And I pray that each week that I stand behind this pulpit, I I pray that you get that. I pray that you understand that. I have a jealousy over you, brothers and sisters, that you know, come to know God for who he is. That you come to experience him more and more. That you come to understand he is the answer for every need that you have. And he is more than enough. His grace will forever be sufficient. And he is able to take every difficulty in our lives and work it for good. I'm jealous for us to know that. To see that. To understand that. To to cling to that. So that the... We understand that the primary goal of our lives is to show people just how glorious and amazing our God is. But let me end this way. If God has a name for every need, then what in the world, what need in our life does Elkanah meet? What, where, where do we go from there? What, what need does a jealous God meet in my life? And let me tell you, I'm going to say this with so much confidence and so much joy. Elkanah meets the need in your life and the need in my life to be loved, to be treasured, 
to be protected, to be wanted, and to be pursued. I heard this week, I overheard a conversation of an individual who said, they just don't feel loved. They don't feel like anyone loves them. And as I'm hearing that, I wanted to scream out, God loves them. God loves them. Oh, how God loves them. Brothers and sisters, resist the temptation that when it comes into your life, no one loves me because nothing's happening the way I want it to happen. No one loves me because they're not giving in to to me. God loves you. God loves you. He proved his love for you. Whether you see it or, or not, his jealousy speaks to his perfect love for you and his pursuing love for you. His love is intent on saving you and never letting you go without a fight. Listen, in this world, you are, you are free to reject God in this world. But you are not free from God pursuing you. You are not free from God being in hot pursuit in your life. You're not free from God causing you moments of, of conviction in your heart. You're not free of that. Listen, while you're off and while oftentimes we're off wanting other things, wanting other stuff, even wanting other saviors, God continues to pursue us because he wants you. He wants you. He wants us. Think about this picture of a jealous guy. I want to end with the words today of Daniel McCoy. who says this, and this is so strong. He says, if someone leaves God behind because they don't like the idea of a jealous God, to be fair, They've got to also leave behind the illusion that they prefer a loving God. You can't say, I want a loving God, but I don't, I don't, I don't, want, a, I don't want a God that loves me that much. No, God loves you so much. He understands that he is your greatest good. And he is jealous for you to experience your greatest good in him. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. He loves you right now, right where you're sitting, and he loves you enough to not keep you where you are. He loves you enough to draw you to himself and to change you and transform you and show you how loved you are so that in any temptation of life, you might not feel love in this moment, but you look back to the cross and you say, God proved his love for me in this. Why I was still in my sin, Christ died for me. That love is proven. That love isn't going anywhere. Oh, praise him for his love. Praise him for the way he loves us, even when it doesn't make sense to us. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to ask the praise team to come forward, and we're going to pray and enter into a time of invitation and consecration. We're a time that I know without a doubt that the Holy Spirit of God is working and moving. Or maybe even the Spirit of God is drawing Whatever the Lord is telling us to do in this moment, may I answer, may our answer be yes. Yes, Lord. So let's pray, Father, in this moment. God, you are a jealous God. You are Elkanah. And that doesn't always make sense to us, yet it is for our good that you are that. It is for our good that you don't tolerate other lovers in our lives, other little G gods in our lives that draw us away from you. It is so good, God, that you tell us to keep you the center. That gravitational pull towards you is so good in our lives. To help us to not replace you with other things, and especially not ourselves. May we keep you in the center, God. Understand that your jealousy just shows us how loving you are.
you love us with a perfect love and you love us with a pursuing love that we might run away from you and yet God you're faster still we get to the end of ourselves and Lord you're there thank you for the way you love us thank you for the way that you minister to us we just lift high you oh God we pray these things in Jesus' name.